to the Ohio State University Summer Quarter Commencement, held Sunday, August 28, 2005, at the Jerome Schottenstein Center. 1,398 graduates received their diplomas. This quarter's commencement speaker is Jody T. Allen, Senior Editor of the Pew Research Center. gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the 373rd commencement of The Ohio State University. I'm honored to preside at this important ceremony as the university bestows its academic degrees on today's graduates. At each commencement, we invite a noteworthy individual to speak to our graduating class. Jody T. Allen is senior editor at the Pew Research Center, a subsidiary of the Pew Charitable Trusts, a Philadelphia-based public charity. The Research Center is a nonpartisan fact tank that provides information on issues, attitudes, and trends shaping America and the world. The Center's work is carried out by six projects, among them the Pew Research Center for the People and the Press and the Global Attitudes Project, which are Ms. Allen's primary areas of focus. The first of these programs serves as a forum for ideas on the media and public policy through public opinion research. The Global Attitudes Project surveys opinions in countries throughout the world, gathering information on attitudes toward the United States, the Muslim world, and other issues of global importance. Both programs serve as important information resource for political leaders, journalists, scholars, and public interest organizations. Ms. Allen was previously at U.S. News & World Report, where she held the positions of managing editor, business editor, and senior writer. She was an author of the biweekly column on political economy. She was also bureau, Washington bureau chief for Slate magazine and the editor of Outlook, the Sunday commentary section of the Washington Post. She's held positions in government, such as deputy assistant secretary of labor for policy, and in the private sector with the Chrysler Corporation, Mathematica, Inc., and the Urban Institute. She's a member of Phi Beta Kappa and the Council on Foreign Relations and the National Academy of Social Insurance. I am pleased to tell you that Ms. Allen's son, Dr. Ted Allen, is an associate professor in the Department of Industrial and Systems Engineering right here at The Ohio State University. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce Ohio State's 2005 summer commencement speaker, Ms. Jody T. Allen. President Holbrook, Provost Snyder, Chairman Slane, members of the Board of Trustees, faculty, honorees, friends, parents, and especially graduates. I'm here to welcome you graduates to the world in the most literal sense. That, of course, has been a traditional greeting for graduates for many, many generations. 
but as I'm sure you know well, uh, it has a far more concrete meaning in this age of accelerating globalization. Back in the early 1940s, Claire Booth Luce, who was then newly elected to the United States Congress, dismissed global thinking by famously remarking that no matter how you slice it, it's still globaloney. But today, globalization is not so easily dismissed as baloney. Like it or not, and there is much to like about it, globalization is now part of our everyday lives in ways that are both obvious and subtle. So what does that mean for all of you? Will you soon be struggling to compete with those three billion new capitalists about whom Clyde Prestowitz warns in his uh, latest book? Um, is the world truly flat, as New York, column, New York Times columnist Tom Friedman argues, uh, flat in terms of comparative advantage? Well, maybe so in the long run. But for the foreseeable future, which is to say at least during your working lives and perhaps even uh, during the working lives of your offspring, I'd guess that Columbia professor Jagdish Bhagwati has the better metaphor. Comparative advantage, he argued in a recent Wall Street Journal article, has become kaleidoscopic. One moment you're working for a company with a firm hold on some market segment, and then a barely perceptible tremor shakes up the whole picture, leaving your company scrambling to adjust and you to find a uh, suitable niche in the altered landscape. Yet scramble as we may, globalization does not mean that we Americans are now effectively indistinguishable from the people of any other country. The concept of American exceptionalism, first enunciated by the 19th century Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville, holds that the United States is set apart by its politics, values, energy, and willingness to take risks. These distinctions still provide us with important advantages, though we gladly share them with those from other countries who come to study and to live with us. But the distinctions have their downsides, too. I probably don't have to tell you that America uh, has lately become very unpopular in the world. Even our traditionally closest allies, Canada and Great Britain, look far less favorably on America than they did just two or three years ago. The latest Global Attitude Survey recently computed, uh, completed by the Pew Research Center, where I now work, finds that substantial majorities in many countries view us as self-centered, violent, and rude. People in Europe find us too religious. However, people in predominantly Muslim countries think we are not religious enough, so it is very hard to please everybody. There is one opinion, though, that it unites all countries, including, in, in this case, the United States itself. It is that we Americans are greedy. In fact, more Americans, some 70 percent, actually rate ourselves as greedy than do the people of any other country. Nor do we kid ourselves uh, that everybody loves us. Only 26% of Americans think we are liked by people in other countries. This is the lowest proportion in any of the 17 nations we surveyed uh, who were asked to rate their own popularity. So if self-knowledge is the cornerstone of wisdom, uh, at least we have a head start in that respect. It's also interesting that the country that now likes us best is India, a nation that is enjoying rapid growth as it has built strong economic ties with the United States. 
More than 70% of the Indian public now has a favorable view of America. So in the end, global uh, prosperity is likely to be the best medicine, and that's something that America has the tools to promote. For the rest of the world does give us credit for being inventive. Everybody also rates us as hardworking. Everybody, that is, except for the citizens of China who have their own standard for what hard work really is. As Andrew Kohut, the widely respected polling expert who now heads the Pew Center, argues in a forthcoming book, there's much about this country that also gives us a likely enduring advantage. True, we have our deepening partisan divides, and that is worrisome. But the values and the attitudes that we share are still much stronger than our differences. As a whole, Americans remain optimistic, self-reliant, pragmatic, individualistic, but in general tolerant of other people's beliefs. And while it is true that we tend to be rather ignorant about other countries' problems, we are not as uncaring about the fate of the planet as they may think. For example, in our recent polls show that 77% of Americans agree that we should do whatever it takes to protect the global environment. And we have other sturdy legs up on our competitors as well, things like better infrastructure, better roads, bridges, fresh water, electrical supply systems, also stronger financial markets, uh, Enron aside, and deeper venture capital markets. Our, our institutions of higher learning also remain unequaled, and that's a great advantage. It enables American universities like OSU to attract talent from around the world, talent that is well represented in the graduating classes here today. So there's much for which you graduates should be grateful, not just the things that your parents have endowed you with, like your fine OSU education, but the many public goods that undergird our competitiveness and our future prosperity. Freedom, first and foremost, but also many other things we tend to take for granted. Of course, there are some things that we prior generations have bequeathed you that you may not find so immediately gratifying, uh, like global warming and a staggering foreign debt. By the end of this year, thanks to our insatiable appetite for foreign imports, plus the interest we now owe on money we have borrowed abroad before, we are expected to add more than another $800 billion to the amount we owe foreign creditors, which will bring the total to well over $3.2 trillion. That's a big number, even measured by our politicians. And it's an enormous swing from only 25 years ago, back in 1980, uh, shortly before many of you were born, when the United States was the largest creditor, not debtor, but creditor nation in the world, holding net foreign assets of nearly $850 billion measured in current dollars. Now, it's comforting to think that those overseas investors are so keen to lend us money because our economy is vibrant and promising, and to some extent that's still true. But in the last uh, few years, as you've no doubt read, the big bulk of foreign loans have come not from private foreign investors, but from the central banks of Asia and the Middle East. And they do not necessarily have our best interests at heart. Their primary motivation is to keep their own currencies cheap relative to the U.S. dollars so that we Americans will go on buying more and more of their goods and oil. Meanwhile, our politicians keep spouting platitudes about fiscal prudence while they go on piling up yet bigger amounts of, of federal debt, 
much of it financed by those same foreign central banks. The latest cases in point are the energy and transportation bills that Congress passed not long ago before it rushed off on its summer vacation. Now, to be sure, America does need sound public investments to retain its competitiveness, but that is no excuse for passing measures that deliver a lot more pork than problem-solving. Up on Capitol Hill, for example, the gigantic energy bill was fondly known as the no-lobbyist-left-behind law. As for the $290 billion transportation bill, which hauls a load of more than 6,000 pork barrel projects, the lone congressman from Alaska gloated that we, quote, stuffed it like a Thanksgiving turkey, all of which prompted Senator John McCain to ask his colleagues, I wonder what it's going to take to make the case for fiscal sanity here, which is a very good question, and it's one that you as voters and even as political leaders may very well have to answer. Now, staggering foreign and federal debts probably don't strike you as something that you should thank uh, your progenitors for bequeathing to you. But look at the positive side. At least they provide you with an enormous incentive to be creative, productive, and innovative. And what more could you ask? Well, you might well ask how you are to succeed in this fast-moving, highly competitive global economy. Let me offer a few quick tips. Nothing you haven't heard before, but still things worth keeping in mind. First off, be flexible. Not so long ago, most people either fell into or decided upon a lifetime career. And if they were lucky and reasonably diligent, they might end up uh, at best with a hefty pile of exercisable stock options, uh, but at the very least with a gold watch and a pension. Those days are gone probably forever. Sure, there will still be the occasional Bill Gates, for whom I once worked, or Steve Jobs, uh, both of whom were able to build a life's work and a fortune on a combination of keen insight and entrepreneurial talent. But more likely, you will find yourself following a career path not all that different from mine. Jumping, as I did, from government to private research, back to government, on into journalism, briefly into private industry, then back to journalism for many more years, and now back into private research. Now, there's no question that such a career uh, can be not only chaotic, but even uh, a bit hair-raising from time to time. Uh, But it's never boring, and it's always educational. And as the global kaleidoscope keeps shifting, you will probably need to shift with it. And that is likely to mean more than one, perhaps many more than one, employer. And that will require the rapid acquisition of new skills, which leads to my second admonition, keep learning. Yes, you'll want to keep tuned for the next opportunity and to stifle your fears of the unknown. And each new job and promotion will likely require new skills and knowledge. You will, however, find it a lot easier to master those skills and knowledge if you keep exercising and deepening your core competencies. And to my mind, most important among these are your analytical skills and your capacity for critical thinking and communication, which is to say your ability to read or hear something and grasp its essential message, to interpret data, and to be able to express your own thoughts in clear and precise language. Never stop working on those core competencies. Now, my next lesson is quite a different one. It's to be nice. 
That may sound frivolous, but I can't tell you how important it is. Early on, I worked in a think tank for the Army, which was the sort of place where people tended to regard a well-paid position as an inalienable right. So everyone was surprised, and I was curious, when they showed the door to one senior researcher, who at least from a distance seemed both intelligent and productive. I asked my superior why it happened. Well, he said, while it was true that the guy could do the work of ten, he could impede the work of twenty. Don't be like that. I took that lesson to heart, and in all the staff building I've done over the years, my guiding principle has been that since the world is full of smart people, there's no sense in hiring one who isn't also nice. And if you're nice yourself, I think you'll find that most people are pretty nice, too. And they are also far more likely to view you as a productive and valuable employee. Being nice, though, doesn't mean that there won't be times when you don't have to be wary, which is my fourth piece of advice. Don't let the prospects of quick wretches make you gullible. Steer, steer clear of the enthusiast who claims to have a lock hold on the proverbial next big thing but lacks a well-conceived business plan. On the other hand, and by now you have come to realize that every commandment comes with a caveat, don't be so risk-averse that you miss out on opportunities where sober analysis indicates the potential reward truly justifies the gamble. Another lesson, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. My one-time boss, Lee Iacocca, used to say, who was then Chrysler's chairman, used to say that ideas grow up around the assembly line. So whether you are a lab scientist, an advertising executive, an accountant, a teacher, or whatever, you will do a much more creative job if you stay in touch with messy reality. Which brings me to my fifth and penultimate lesson. Be alert. As my tennis-playing father used to say, keep your eye on the ball. It may bounce in a direction you didn't expect. In his famous poem, The Passing of Arthur, Alfred Law Tennyson cautioned that the old order changeth, yielding place to new, and God fulfills himself in many ways, lest one good custom should corrupt the world. What Tennyson meant by this is that while core principles, your fundamental moral and religious beliefs, may remain constant, facts on the ground can give new meaning to their application. What was once the right and proper thing to do may now turn out to have consequences that contradict in practice those very principles of justice, fair play, and obligation. And one of the best ways to make sure that your understanding of the facts and their implications hasn't grown moldy is to be a good listener. Take in more than you talk. Actions really do speak louder than words. And on that note, I will stop talking and let you get on with the world. There's lots of opportunity out there to do well while doing good, so get out there and do it. Thank you, and go Bucks. Thank you, Ms. Allen, for such a wonderful, thoughtful, informative, and reality-based message. We really appreciate it. And in recognition of your contributions today, I'm pleased to present you with the commencement medallion for the 373rd commencement at Ohio State. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. We have a remarkable group of students graduating today. 
At each commencement, we recognize the undergraduate students with the highest grade point average. I'm pleased to announce that in today's graduating class, there are three students who have completed their bachelor's degree with a 3.97 grade point average. I would like the three of you to stand when I call your name. Jacob Adams of Dublin, Bachelor of Science in Electrical and Computer Engineering. Scott Cronin of Green, Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry. And Elaine O'Connell of Mansfield, Bachelor of Arts in Communication. Congratulations to all of you. I would also like to mention that several members of today's graduating class were cadets and midshipmen in the Reserve Officer Training Corps while students at Ohio State. They are being commissioned as officers in our armed forces at special, special ceremonies this weekend. Their names are listed in the commencement program, but will the newly commissioned officers please rise so that we may recognize you as well. Thank you very much. In introducing Jody Allen, I indicated that the Pew Research Center provides information on the issues, attitudes, and trends shaping America in the world. It occurred to me that there is another source that portrays issues, attitudes, and trends of our society, and that's reality television. You've just heard Archie Griffin say something about reality television. But I hadn't realized the enormous proliferation of reality TV beyond the better-known programs of Fear Factor, The Apprentice, The Survivor, American Idol, and Archie mentioned Supreme or Extreme Makeover, until I checked the web and discovered that there are at least 300 reality shows. And you can submit your own ideas for new ones and even audition online. It's hard to believe that there are any topics that haven't been covered when you scan the A to Z listings and see that as a contestant, you can participate in an amazing race, trained to be a fighter, pilot, a boxer, it can be totally made over, voted as the best singer, fashion designer, dancer, the best looking, the most appealing. You can compete in weight loss, manage a city, become a law partner, be exposed publicly for how badly you raise your children. And you can swap wives, bosses, embrace fear, and survive under extreme circumstances, and those are only a few. I first began to focus on this theme for my remarks with the idea that the drama and excitement of trickery and humiliation, as you see portrayed on television, is not the way we live. It is not reality. And in fact, it expresses too many of the negative aspects of our interpersonal experience relations through experiences that are designed to expose our deficiencies, confuse, shock, exploit, personally attack, and humiliate. Or as the Columbus Dispatch stated in an article just this past week, week humiliate to the max before you are finally cut down by a single catchphrase that tells you you have lost, are no longer on the list, you are fired, or you're banished. You and I both know that most of what we see on reality television, if taken at face value, is not the real world. An edited reality show simplifies the complex world in which we live, focusing only on one specific element. 
But as I read more about reality shows, I began to see the positive aspects of these shows and to realize that while TV reality settings are not the environment we are living in, there are elements in them that are reminiscent of your lives at Ohio State. But a single television season could never capture what each of you has done over the past four or more years you have been here. You, like the reality TV contestants, have been willing participants, but in the process of your education. You have lived with the fear factor from the day you entered this campus, unfamiliar to you, through the prospective challenges that caused each of you to look within yourselves and find answers to questions with which you were faced. You have learned through your studies that solution to many lives' problems call upon your intellect and your intuition. You've learned as an apprentice from world-class faculty who are pushing the boundaries of their fields, who have engaged you in a dynamic exchange of ideas, taught you new ways of thinking, involved you in their research, and shared with you their, the desire for knowledge. You were often exposed to mental and physical tests, including sleep deprivation, and you learned how to respond under stress, to develop the staying power under duress, to accept the outcome of your behavior, to work in challenging situations and deal with failure. But the people that you have worked with in this university and learned from here have engaged you very differently than those on reality television. They have not set you up for humiliation, to fail, or to look foolish, but rather they've helped you build a solid foundation of critical thinking, social responsibility, and reflective judgment. As bachelor and bachelorette, or other titles, you've learned how to develop close relationships and work with a diverse group of individuals who make up the university community, bound together by a scarlet and gray thread. You've learned about such positive traits of real relationships, about helping others succeed and not fail, and in doing so, have helped, they have helped you, unlike what you see on reality TV, where people are pitted against each other. You've participated in an intellectual interaction and learned very clearly that education is not a zero-sum game where one has to lose for another to win. Ohio State has been an amazing race where you have set goals for yourself and found ways to reach them. You've set yourself, your sights high, worked to stand out, to be your best, and you've achieved things you may never have thought was possible. And now, summer graduates of the Ohio State's class of 2005, you are the real survivors. You've not had to live on a diet of worms, battled crocodiles, or slept in a rainforest in Borneo or the Outback or Guatemala, but you have outwitted, outplayed, and persevered. The alliances you've made have been with people who will make yours, your life a better future. You are the real winners, and we celebrate your hard work and discipline. Your experience at Ohio State is not the conclusion of your personal reality show, but as the word commencement signifies, is only the beginning of the next episode for which you are well prepared to continue to win, and for the right reasons, to share your education with others, to affect positive change and make a difference for society. We know that each of you will create a reality for yourself, and we will be watching. It will truly be worthy. My congratulations to every one of you on a wonderful state of accomplishment.